The true quarry of any great adventurer is the undiscovered territory of their own souls. And we welcome you back once again to another edition of Drive Back the Night, an Andromeda series podcast. I'm Ryan Mazzocco. And I'm Ethan Maestri. Episode 38. It's a big deal. Um, Hold on, Ryan. This just doesn't feel right. I really feel like we need to have three people to do this podcast. Yeah, I know. You're right. I mean, we have discussed that, but it's just I don't see how this is going to happen. I mean, who, who do you suggest we get? I was thinking maybe Doug. He could do it. Well, I mean, he he does our voiceovers for yeah. the quotes, but we don't usually have him in studio. He's he's busy. We can't get him over here. Besides, I mean, I like Doug. He's an awesome guy, but it just wouldn't work anyway because we need Dylan. The prophecy says that it has mm. to be Dylan yeah. or else it's just not going to work. Yeah, but the problem with that is is we've been trying to get Sorbo for months on the Twitter to respond to us. And the, the man just – well, he just – he flat out hasn't responded. Right. Yeah. He's given. He, yeah. Yeah. We're we have we've not we've not been able to get a hold of Sorbo. So no. I mean, if if we can't get him, then it just doesn't matter. At There's this just point. no one else. Um, I say we just you know prophecy aside. Let's just let's let's just trudge on. See if we can make it through with just the two of us. I like the rule of two. It's a good Personally, rule. Yeah, it's a good good rule. It worked for the Sith. So. Did it? <laughs> Did it? That's another discussion. Different right. podcast. Let's right. do this one. Okay, so episode 38. In Heaven, Now Are Three. Yes. Oh, okay. So that explains the joke about the whole three, I guess. Okay. Welcome aboard, <laughs> listener. Right. right. So just in case you haven't been keeping up, uh, then I might want to let you know that this is the part where we send it over to Ethan. Do a little bit of trivia for yeah, us. Got some fun facts okay, for us. Okay, good. This is an interesting story because it was billed as being a, a story by Celeste Chan Wolf, and that's, if you remember, Robert Hewitt Wolf's wife. Now, she gets credit for the story. However, the writing credit goes to Emily Skopoff. Now, this is the second script that she has worked on for this series, the first being Pitiless as the Sun. So we've got a little bit, I don't know really how that works in, in show business, where you get one person that's credited a story and then a written by to someone else. Mm-hmm. Um, unless she just pitched the story, it was her idea originally, and yet it was assigned to someone else to write it. That's the only thing I could figure, that why you have the, the split in credits that right. way. I kind of like that formula, because I have got so many great ideas for stories. You, you're a pitch man. Yeah, but you know, as far as uh, putting it down to the paper, the dialogue. Man, that's a that tough. Would, that would be more my my avenue. Could we do that? So we could, we should collaborate sometime. Okay. Yeah. I don't know why we're just now having this discussion. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> uh, so the actors that we have in this series, Dean Ray, he plays Fletcher. Now, um, he makes his rounds in all the usual places uh, for uh, Northwestern television uh, in the B.C. area. He's had roles on The X-Files, The Outer Limits, Stargate Atlantis, and he played the unforgettable Augie Brooke in the 1995 appearance on The, the Commish. Absolutely. That's awesome. Yeah. So add that one to the tally. Uh, Ingrid Torrance. She plays Duran. Now, she has worn many hats in her showbiz career uh, with appearances in The Outer Limits, Stargate SG-1, Smallville among them. Uh, and also as a recurring role in the series The 4400. Have you ever watched The 4400? I have not watched it. But it is a show by Robert, Robert Hewitt Wolf. Wolf. Absolutely, yeah. And she had the recurring role of Lucy on that show. She's also directed and produced uh, throughout television as well. And then Brendan Bezier. He plays Flux. Now, for X-Files fans... What the Flux? <laughs> for X-Files fans, under all of that blue makeup, you may have recognized him as... Agent... The Smoking Man? No, not The Smoking oh, okay. Man. We already had him oh, okay. in, this, in this show. Uh, no, he was uh, Agent Pendrel. 
from uh, the X-Files. It was a re- he had a recurring role as Agent Pendrel in that series. He's also appeared in Stargate's SG-1 and Atlantis, along with many other roles throughout television and film all the way down to today. And that's what I've got for some fun facts. Okay, great, Ethan. Don't stop now. Why don't you tell us about what happened in this episode? All right, I can give us a synopsis here. Becca is trying to convince Tyr to come along with her to find the engine of... Wait, can, can we say what it is now? I, I think it's okay. Is it okay? I think it's okay to say what it is. Oh, okay. Yes. The engine of creation. Trance says that he can't join them. He'll die if he goes along. Good thing that she's here to tell us these things. Harper is off researching Albuquerque Drift and can't go. Rami is a no-show in this episode as well. So that really just leaves one option for Becca, the one that she wouldn't have picked on her own. A Captain Terrific, Dylan Hunt. So Becca, Trance, and a skeptical Dylan head off to Shintaido to find the engine. Once there, they locate the remains of a famous expedition that was never heard from again after setting off to find the engine of creation itself. Their headless corpses indicate that great dangers lie ahead for our three heroes. They also find that they are not alone in their quest. Another group of three named Fletcher, Duran, and Flux are also there looking for the engine as well. It's a race against time to see who finds the relic first. After encounters in the jungle and encounters with decapitation drones, the trio opens the vault of the Engine of Creation only to find it empty. They are then captured by Shintaido natives and forced to fight members of the other trio of treasure hunters. In a bit of dialogue between Trance and Flux, we learn that the way this works is that the engine will only allow itself to be presented to the most worthy seekers. We also learn that Flux is one of Trance's people, and he's told her that she needs to come be with them. Who will win the fight for the engine in Shintaido's local Medieval Times fight pit? Of course, it's our heroes from the Andromeda. They take the inexplicably heavy relic back to the Maru and eventually home to the Andromeda. On the way, Becca reveals that although she was reluctant to take Dylan along, she now knows that they make a great team. And with that, they walk away from the glow stick of destiny as it pulses behind them unseen. The end. Hey, Ethan. Hey, what? Ask me if I can decapitate somebody. Ryan, can you decapitate somebody? Sure I can. <laughs> oh, man, that is, that is a cheap joke. <laughs> Zing! <laughs> uh, we need to take a minute. I have been sitting on that one for like an hour. Really? Oh, yeah. Really? That's, well, I hope there was a good payoff for that. Oh, it was good. Okay. Yeah. I am proud of myself You're... right now. <laughs> you should see his head, people. <laughs> I'm going to have to open the door and make him stick stick his head out of this room. Just not big enough. You know, for an adventure like finding the engine of creation, I find myself, in the fact that Dylan even compares it to an adventure uh, similar to finding the Holy Grail, Yep, I'm really disappointed that there was a shocking lack of coconut shells being banged together to make horse hoof sound. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's Just too a little bad. disappointed. You know, something else I thought of though was uh, you made the connection to the Monty Python. I was thinking Indiana Jones. Yes. Uh, not only was you know because of the Holy Grail, but um, I'm thinking you know when they encounter the uh, booby trap, Becca's solution is counterweights. And here I have to wonder, has she never seen Indiana Jones? (laughs) Because obviously Dylan has. Yes. He knows counterweights. mm -mm, He knows what's coming. Big rolling ball. Let's just get out of the way. I I say this was a horrible episode for them to take Harper out of it. Because wouldn't Harper have known exactly what to expect? Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Uh, Professor, what was that name again? Mino Tabascali? Yeah. Tabascali. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, Professor Mino, Mino Tabascali, he obviously was the, the leader of the expedition that they found, uh, well, they lost their heads. Right. Um, he sure had a flair for the dramatic, didn't he? <laughs> did, you, did, you, did you pay attention to his little bit on the screen there? No, I didn't pay attention to him You didn't? At all. Okay. No. I watched it a couple of times mm-hmm. and actually backed it up and watched it. And that actor is obviously a character actor. Uh I had his name. I, I elected not to include it in the in the trivia because he had such a bit role, and then he was just a body later. Right. Poor Minos, <laughs> or Mino, Mino Tavascali. Um, 
he had that flair for the dramatic of overacting. And it reminded me a lot. I thought it was a great little homage to, well, you mentioned Indiana Jones. That comes out of a whole genre, right, from from 30, 20s and 30s uh, pop culture. And so all of that came from the, the huge characters that were explorers in the late 19th and early 20th century. And, and I thought that was just a real a nice little homage, whether it was on purpose or not, to those types of explorers, especially around the turn of the 20th century, where they were more personalities. They were more like – they had to be more car salesmen than actual explorers, <laughs> you know? And that's that's what this uh, this guy, uh, Mino Tab, Tab – I can't get his name right. Tabascali. Tabascali. Uh, that's what he reminded me of. I thought that was a nice, nice little addition to the story there. You know, I, I apologize for bringing this up two shows in a row but you got to give them credit i'm really glad to see that uh last week didn't work out but once again this week they're able to find raw work again (laughs) man you're just dancing all over my talking points (laughs) no no i I, i'm a little different i'll follow it up okay all right but yes raw Mm -hmm. yeah Uh, my observation was um well it was just was the priestess uh was she inhabited by a bokor or was it raw? <laughs> right. <laughs> really couldn't tell. Uh-huh. Couldn't tell much difference. You know, um, going back to that booby trap again for the, the trigger that Becca was standing on. Um, once Dylan releases her weight off of it, it shoots out all those unpresuming poison darts. Yes. Okay. My question is, does somebody have to reload those darts again? <laughs> Yeah, how many times in the last 3,000, let's say 3,000 mm-hmm. years, has that thing had to be reloaded? I don't know. I mean, is that a thing? Do the Shinto have to be watching and seeing every time that thing goes off? Well, we got to make 30 darts again. <laughs> They're not just guards with axes. They I have responsibilities, too. I guess, yeah. <laughs> uh, my question about that is, uh, Dylan asked Trance to move out of the way. I'm thinking, why even bother? You know she's not going to die. Why That's ask true, her to yeah. move out of the way? Just just do what you're going to do, and it, it'll sort itself out. Well, I guess, you know, because what we have seen is even if Trance doesn't actually die, she is sort of offline, I guess, for a little bit. Incapacitated. Yeah, yeah and, and we kind of need her to come along with us. True. That is true. Yeah, it's okay. just that's just another thing to, to carry, you know. Did you just say something about the uh, the guys with the axes? Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm calling them the Out of Bounds guys. <laughs> the Out of Bounds guys. And yet, they even interfered with the fight itself. Okay, that's my question. Uh huh. At the beginning of the fight, they basically were just shoving them back into the ring. Yeah. Okay? You guys clobber each other. Yeah. Yeah. And you kind of get the impression from the dialogue that if they try to go out of bounds, someone's going to die. Yes. So they're going to take your head off if you try to go out of bounds, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. That's... That's kind of what I'm seeing. That's how the rules of this game are being set up. Mm-hmm. I guess maybe it's like the, the Gamesters of Triskelion. Once the game starts, none of the rules matter anymore. Right. <laughs> yes. <laughs> because later, the guards are actively trying to take swipes at them. Yes. They're in the ring of play. They're not dying fast enough. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get on with it. Yeah. Can, can you imagine? I'm thinking you... you you talked about Star Trek, oh. so so here I'm bringing it up. Uh, what was it? A mock time. Okay. All right, when Kirk and Spock are fighting, how would you feel if the Vulcans just started chiming in, grabbing loots or whatever those sword well, things were? I think were that would be swiping? unfair. It would be, mm-hmm. and that's what's happened here. Yeah. This is a grave injustice. I think so. They need to talk to the Shintaido Gaming Commission about this. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Honestly, though, going to the, the, the segment where... Uh, what is it? Flux comes into the camp, takes the the force lance. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, he's not the smartest guy. He only takes one. Apparently, they have at least two. <laughs> <laughs> so good job there, Flux. Uh, but but secondly, when Trance and Flux are talking out in the woods, I, I thought it was really good. Um, Kevin Sorbo really did have the look of a guy that had just rolled out of his sleeping bag. In order to go into the woods and eavesdrop on somebody, <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm just saying. Mm-hmm. I mean, we joke about him as an actor at times because of you know subpar maybe at times, 
honestly, Maybe I actually it's comments want... like that is the reason he won't contact us. Possibly mm-hmm. so. Um, sorry, <laughs> Kevin. <laughs> I mean, we, we're just having fun here. Yeah, we know um, he's listening. So. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm just saying. I genuinely thought, you know what? That looks like a guy that did just roll out of bed. <laughs> I thought it was very well done, very well acted. Well, and I guess staying on Dylan, there is something that uh, I'll go ahead and let you in on. Little secret for the future. Um, we were introduced to a new catchphrase. Which one was that? Well, if you don't know what it is, I'm not going to tell I'm you. Gonna, I'm going to figure it out. Yeah, okay. and it pretty much starts right now, and uh, it's going to continue for the next three and a half seasons. Well, here's the thing. There were a lot of witty... Witty sayings, sass talk. Yeah. All of that was going on. There so, was. There was. Which one was it? I mean, yeah, there's a lot of there's it. There's a lot to choose from. So in this one episode. of these gets singled out then. Mm-hmm. You know what? We'll have a pop quiz at the end of the uh, season. All right. And we'll see if I can identify what it is. What do you say? Okay. Okay. All right. Put a pin in that. Okay. Um, I have a question. When the gas is released in the uh, vault of the engine of creation, yeah. was that trance that was coughing and hacking? I know I'm picking on her as, as whether or not she's alive or not. But yet again, I, I'm, I'm just bringing that to attention. Was she breathing? Was she coughing and hacking when the cyanide was released? When she gets into character. Okay. She's a method actor. Mm-hmm. Okay. You got it. Yeah, you nailed it. So uh, I have a question about the engine of creation. <clears throat> yes. During the uh, the trophy presentation ceremony it's <laughs> a good way of putting it um, they bring them this piece of the the engine of creation and it's in this really nice hard shell case with a nice plush inside it, it, this is this is great to put this thing in right it, yeah, it's absolutely. protected it evidently for thousands of years how many people presented that case oh you know what i didn't notice one person huh i think it was just one person well i guess if it's in the case then it doesn't count. Okay. <clears throat> you can move along. Yeah. Sorry, I don't mean to trample on that. No, that's. A, I'm glad you, you brought that up. That's probably something we should talk about. But uh, but as far as the case, I'm wondering, why didn't they let them have the case? Yeah, why just... Yeah. <laughs> are, are, do, are they going to use it again for something else? How do you repurpose that? Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's just a case. It's, just, it's, just let them have the case. They're going to use it to hold that the one shirkin that's in the in the vault still. After yeah, they dig it out of the door, it's the wrong shape. Eh. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know the way they dressed up their guns. They may use it to store one of the guns in there too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. Maybe that's where they store all of their guns. But then for the ceremony, they were like, "We got to put this in something. <laughs> we have to make this look presentable." Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's just been on there a shelf go. getting dusty for the last that 3,000 years or whatever. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, I, I thought it was great. You know, just to say, that is the great thing about this show, is, is how it will make fun of itself at times. And and how when Becca volunteers, and then, uh, what's her name? Duran. Duran volunteers. Becca's reaction is, because as soon as they step forward... And she volunteers and the other volunteers. My immediate thought was, cat fight. <laughs> and that is the very next line that Becca spits out there is, oh, great, cat fight. You know, and I'm just like, I, I like the show for the fact that it, it won't take itself too seriously on, on stuff like that. Mm-hmm. This show, uh, this particular episode did a lot of not taking itself too seriously. Yes. As you had already alluded to with all of the... Uh, I think we're going to get in, We're going to get more into that oh, as okay. we get into this discussion okay. a little further. Great. Uh, and I would just... Final thought, okay. observation. Uh, how about Dylan with his intimidating smack talk? I mean, he lays it down pretty hard on... Uh, oh, oh, what's his name? Fletcher? Fletcher. Yeah. I mean, it, every every comment that Fletcher makes about you, choosing... The, I'm a sword man myself. <laughs> Most guys yeah. think they are. Yeah, uh-huh. I, I, I know I would be a little bit rattled <laughs> if I was going into battle with a man that, you know, just, you know, just, just, just like that, uh, threw it back in my face. Right. Well, I mean, Plus he's, the fact that he stands a head and a half taller, yeah, too, that's, that, that's gotta be something. Right. He's kind of been in that kind of a mood all day, though. <laughs> that is true. Yeah. I, I, you have to imagine it's a jungle planet, hot, humid. He, he rolled out of bed at two o'clock in the morning to right. go listen to the intrigue between trance and flux. Mm-hmm. He hasn't slept well. He's had a shuriken. 
mm-hmm. uh, come after him, cyanide. Right. Yeah. Yeah. He's uh, he's definitely not in the mood. All right. That's enough horseplay, Ethan. What do you say we uh, get down to the? Let's dig in. Let's get to the meat of this episode. Yeah. Okay. I guess you know one thing I, I'd like to to bring up is, do you, do you kind of feel like we've sort of had a payoff? We've been building to this point for such a long time. Um, not in huge ways. It's been pretty subtle mm-hmm. in most ways, but there have been little little nuggets that have been left behind for us. You um, going all the way back to it makes a lovely light, talking about. Searching for Tarn Vedra because that's where she thinks the engine of what? That which we do not speak. Right. Yeah. And uh, that now we do. Yes. Now we do. The now engine the of name. creation. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> and we did from the coda. But as far as the chronological canon of the episode, this is the first time we actually know the engine of creation. Right. And what it's supposed to be. Um, I imagine we'll probably talk about that in itself later. But, yeah. but you know, then we also have the uh, the hegemon's heart. Mm-hmm. And we got to see the map again. Yeah. And so that's another clue. Yep. And so now, finally, it all comes together. And we finally get to go on this adventure. Yeah. And I have a question about that. Is, is Trance alludes to the fact early on that there are other people that are looking for this thing. Mm-hmm. And that it's it's imperative that they get to it first. Right. And obviously, we we see the other trio that's looking for it. I'm just wondering why all of a sudden the, the urgency. Why did everyone else get involved? Because Beck has been sitting on these clues for a long time. Well, I was thinking that people have been searching for it and have been going on this this mission for for a very, very long time. Um, It seemed to me that as far as Becca, she finally just now got all of her ducks in a row. Okay. Now she's ready to go on her mission, hoping that nobody else is already... Right. Got it first. Yeah. Okay. That that, yeah. that was at least that was the impression that I got from the whole thing. Um, I kind of figured there were always lots and lots of people going to this well, place. You think about for the mythology of like the finding the lost city of Atlantis, the mm-hmm. Holy Grail. There's always interest in it, mm-hmm. but it's more like that passive interest in the mythology of it, rather than actually putting an expedition together and going and and locating it. Right, and it just seems, I don't know, somehow convenient for the episode that you you've got a, a an expedition that's been out there for a couple of months, and you've got this other trio that shows up at the exact same time, and then now you've got Becca and her crew that come rolling in because, as you say, they got their ducks in a row; they're ready right. for it now. Well, it just it, seems like an awful, yeah. yeah. Well, again, Indiana Jones, true, and that what happens? <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. You go looking for something, and then the Nazis come rolling right. in. <laughs> so, so, Ryan, I'd like to talk a little bit more about the engine itself. Okay. Because we get some some tangible clues as to what it is or what it isn't, maybe, mm-hmm. and its makeup mm-hmm. a little bit. Uh, the first thing, uh, it could weigh up to three galaxies. I thought that was pretty interesting. Yeah. Well, And, and, I, and I'm sitting there thinking, oh, that's just, a, you know, that's just mm-hmm. something mythological thrown in there. But no, I, I guess... It's it's made out of a uh, element or uh, some material that is so dense that it is the equivalent of three galaxies. I'm like, that's kind of cool. It's kind of interesting. It's not that much if you think about it, because <laughs> well, if only three people can, are needed to pick it up, right? right. And and galaxies are made up Sorry, of mostly three, space. Three worthy people, <laughs> right? Right. So so you have something akin to Thor's hammer. Mm-hmm. You know, they are worthy. Therefore, they are the only ones that can lift it up. And I'm wondering, how, well, hold on. how embarrassing are, would it have been? Are they the only ones that can lift it? Or they're just the only ones that are worthy to possess it? Well, I, I'm getting to that. Okay. Um, I'm just wondering if, if, if Dylan and... Not Dylan. Uh, Durant. I'm getting Dylan and Durant right. mixed up there. Dylan and Durant. Fletcher. That was an 80s band, I think. Oh, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> if Fletcher, Durant, and uh, Flux had won and the engine didn't want to go with them. How embarrassing would that have been? They wouldn't have been able to pick it up, would they? No. No, they wouldn't. But <laughs> anyway, I, that's that's beside the point. But I imagine that if they if if Fletcher and Duran had won and they killed 
Becca and Dylan. Mm-hmm. Uh, the engine of creation, which has the power to create and restore life and all this stuff, right? Then it could presumably bring Dylan and Becca back from the dead. True. And then go ahead and, and whack the other two. Yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. And, and to that point, you, you were mentioning or alluding to earlier, the engine actually cares about who possesses it. And so, you know, I make that comment about what if the other three had won? Mm-hmm. Well, that wasn't going to happen because the engine wasn't going to let that happen. Yeah, because uh, Trance makes that point. Yeah, exactly. This is the engine doing this. Yeah. Um, what exactly it was doing, I'm not sure. If it was making the, the out-of-bounds guards miss, because <laughs> right. that was what was happening. You, uh, I, I, it, it, no one was really winning that fight at that point when Trance said that. Right. I, I'm thinking at that point in the in the fight, you could have just substituted Gamorreans in there for right. Star Wars. <laughs> it would have big people. It right. would have been just as effective. So, yeah, I, I think that the engine is, is a, it's a pretty cool little plot piece. Mm-hmm. Now to the the mythology that's talked about there at the end between uh, Dylan and Becca is that is this it is that or is this a piece of something that isn't whole are, are we gonna are we gonna come back to this are we gonna revisit it we will come back to this great toward the end of the episode of, of this episode. of this episode okay yeah <laughs> okay but anyway even still mm-hmm. without an answer at, at the end of this episode that we just watched it's a it's a pretty intriguing plot device i think it's pretty cool Mm -hmm. and and yeah we've learned a lot more about it uh fleshed it out just a little bit i really would like to know what that glowing thing at the end Mm -hmm. what that portends for the future of the show but anyway that's right i mean it it really does kind of get the mind going doesn't it yeah it does really anticipating what's going to come next Mm -hmm. so plus i've always been a fan of of adventure type mm-hmm. stories like that seeking relics and things like that. Right. everybody enjoys them at some point uh i got a couple of notes here um what i have written down is can dylan take a back seat mm, yeah i thought it was interesting kind of there's a lot explored here about um leadership styles um the burden of leadership and and just with dylan is is he able to to take a step back and let somebody else lead a mission. Yeah. And I think that Dylan really believed that he was capable of that. Mm-hmm. He even believed that he was doing that. Um, yeah, the problem is he becomes a very smarky, smart aleck person whenever he, <laughs> yeah. whenever he tries. <laughs> kind of like Becca usually is. Yes. Hmm. Now we have gained some insight into both characters, I believe. Mm-hmm. Huh. Yeah, but it is interesting, though, because he does think that, that he's... Uh, taking the backseat on this whole thing, mm-hmm. letting Becca take command. And whether he is or isn't, Becca feels that he's not. Yeah. He's he's really tried to take control too many times and without him really even realizing what he was doing. Right. Until she realizes that, yes, she has been in control this whole time. Which I thought that was a very interesting dichotomy in, in their two characters. Mm-hmm. And the way the characters... Uh, explore themselves in this episode because they're in the in the jail and she basically she comes out says i wanted to be in control but now i realize i've gotten comfortable not being in control because i like not having the responsibility Mm -hmm. i thought that was a really cool uh, admission and a an interesting uh place for her character to arrive at Mm -hmm. yeah yeah and because the 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 problems with when things do go wrong. Uh, you know, that's one of the things that she doesn't want to deal with at this point. Right. And especially with Dylan, because now she is concerned that Dylan's life is in her hands. And that really seems to terrify her. Yeah, just a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, she doesn't want to deal with that. Um, Dylan has to deal with that all the time. Which isn't this a huge turn? From where we started the show at. And, and I know that's the point of this episode. Yeah. Is to kind of show us just how far we've come. Right. Because we had a lot of that tension at the very beginning of the series. Oh, sure. She was one. countermanding his... Yeah. 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 And now it's... It, we're just now getting to the point to where she understands that, yeah, this, this, is, a, this is a better place for her to be in. And, and, and being... 
you know, uh, you know, bulldozing her way through and being, you know, Captain Valentine mm-hmm. as she had gotten used to. Um, she's grown up from that a little bit, right. and she realizes that she's she's okay taking a step back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought that was a really good uh, character development. What do you think about the uh, the line borrowed from Jerry Maguire that you complete me? Um, there was a lot of Velveeta dripping off of it. <laughs> there was. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I didn't particularly care for that. Uh-huh. At the same time, though, you can't deny that they, they have arrived at a at a much better place. Right. Bet- between those two characters. Yeah, and because that's one of the notes and, that and I... It, and, and if I might say... Sure. While they... The dialogue was cheesy... It, it is Velveeta. Velveeta. Uh, it it was very good to see the characters in that ar- arrive at that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did appreciate that. And you know, there's there's also through that um, Dylan's conversation with Trance, talking about their differences in their leadership styles, and I think Dylan is willing to accept that neither way is wrong, but that's his style. That's her style. Now, you, when you put the two together, they seem to work really well as a team, as they come to understand together sing at along the with end me. of... Sing along with Ebony <laughs> and... No, I don't know. And Ivory. No. 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 Okay. Never mind. Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder... Because Dylan kind of... He, he kind of tries to make the point that there really is no wrong way. I wonder if he had felt the same way if Tyr was on this expedition with them. Um, you know, I hadn't thought about that. But Trance makes the comment, it's better for everybody mm-hmm. if Tyr does not go on this mission. Right. And so, yeah, I mean, she's basically alluding to the fact that cataclysmic things will happen mm-hmm. if you introduce Tyr into the mix. So, yeah, he's not going to mesh in with this very well. Mm-hmm. But... Could Tyr have been any less interested in going on this mission? He doesn't even when when the 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 bait is hung out there uh, of if you tell him what this is about, he will die. He's just, he he's like by all means, don't tell me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, you're absolutely right. There is no interest on his part in this mission whatsoever. Yeah, because I mean, I'm pretty sure that toward the end, um, I just can't see Tear as being one that's just going to take the weapon away from the enemy's throat and say, "I choose not to kill today." Yeah, point. That's that's a very good point. Um, and it kind of brings me to my next point because in that in that fight scene, okay, Dylan, he's in that position first. He has his weapon at the enemy's throat, pulls it away, drops it. I'm not fighting. I'm not going to kill today. Mm-hmm. Becca then does the same thing. I'm not going to do it. Right. Um, from what we know of Becca to this point, what would have happened if Becca had got Duran in the compromising position first? Do you think she would have went ahead and gone through with the kill shot? I, I don't think so. I, I really don't. I, I think you could have you could have really substituted either one of those characters in that position of of pinning the other the opponent down first. And I think either one of them would have made the right decision. I've said that out loud and I'm not one hundred percent certain mm-hmm. on Becca, but I feel like yeah, she mm-hmm. would have. I'm what I'm wondering is because we have seen both Dylan and Becca kill. Many times. Dylan much more. But but Becca is not all that squeamish when she has to kill. Right. I don't think she likes it. Wait, I'm, I'm sitting here trying to think, oh yeah, Mobius. <laughs> okay, yeah, Dylan's done a lot of killing. Uh-huh. Okay. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, I don't think, neither of them enjoy it. We know these characters well enough right. to know that they value life. They have compassion and sympathy. They don't like it, but sometimes a situation calls for it. Yes. They have to take a life. I kind of wonder if in this situation, if did they just not kill 
today because this episode kind of required that they not kill today. <laughs> uh, when you peel back the layers and look at the, the guts of the story, yeah. They didn't kill because that's what their story required. Mm-hmm. I think you're absolutely you, you've struck upon something here, and it's something I've not really thought of, thought about. Oh, I'm sorry. I hate it when people do that to me. Well, no, it, no, it's it's a very valid point. It, is you, you're absolutely right. We've seen the precedent. They'll kill. Mm-hmm. Um, the Shintaido peoples. Any other episode? Yeah, several of them would have gone down before negotiations would have ensued and whatever uh, uneasy truce or whatever uh, took place that would have gotten them out of that situation. Mm-hmm. The fact that, that no sh- no blood was shed, it is kind of not in keeping with what we've seen our characters doing up to this point. And, and yet, I, I, I give it a pass. Mm-hmm. I, t- I have totally given this episode a pass in that regard. Because, I, I, like, like I just said, I hadn't thought about it that way. Maybe it had something to do with because they knew the prophecy that it would only give itself to the ones who proved themselves to be righteous. Yeah, but as far as the prophecy was concerned, they were really only homing in on the fact that there had to be three. So we just have to ensure that our three people get to that point, get to the end. Right. That was the only thing they really seemed to be focused on. There was nothing mentioned about... uh, being the the most righteous. Now, Becca brings up, it It will present itself to the, the most righteous. And maybe that's what they had to have in the back of their mind as mm-hmm. they're fighting is, or, wait a second, we have to be different than these people that were, that were fighting. Right. Maybe that's, maybe that's the thing that was going through their mind. Well, and, and Fletcher and Duran were just so obviously wicked and bloodthirsty. That's the way their characters are made to be. Oh, they were very much villains. You definitely get that, right? I mean, Duran, she was just awful as as a person, as a character. (laughs) Makeup. Just no fun to be around, (laughs) I got to imagine. Yeah. So you kind of know that, yeah, like you say, they have this in the back of their mind. Let's be the complete opposite of these tools that are here. Um, clearly, they want to kill us. We probably kind of need to kill them, but maybe we shouldn't. You almost wonder why didn't they just reason the universe would be a better place without these people around, <laughs> right? <laughs> right. But they they didn't they didn't go there. They they took the high road, for better or for worse, and they were rewarded, I suppose. That you have chosen wisely. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, exactly. I, I really feel like we need to talk about trance now. Yeah, you're right. Because I think we, we've got some good character development for trance. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, you had seen it before. When you saw this episode the first time, did you understand that Flux was one of her people before they revealed it toward the end? No. You didn't? No. I didn't either. Mm-hmm. And 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 on the subsequent rewatches, I'm just like, how did I miss this? Mm-hmm. He's blue, mm-hmm. close to purple. <laughs> kind of got the same features around the face and the, yeah. the head tail thingies and the hair. Mm-hmm. And the ears were a dead giveaway. Mm-hmm. How did I miss it? It's, I'm really kicking myself over that. You know, it's just, it was subtle enough. It was, to- a, it was the bad British accent. Probably. That's what it was. Yeah, he was. He just acted so different. You you think that he's with the villains? Can't possibly be one of one of Trance's people, right? And they're through the whole thing. They're playing everybody. You mentioned Dylan's midnight walk. That was totally for the benefit of Dylan and Becca. Yeah. Um, it's just so strange the way they set that up. You know, a lot of it is for for us. Yes. Because they don't want us to know yet that they know who, that each of them respectively knows who they are. Mm -hmm. So let's go ahead and keep that a secret and have Trance walking through the camp, or um, have Flux Flux walking through the camp, taken off through the woods, and then Trance 
catches him. Right. Without seeing any of that back at camp, how does Dylan and Becca wake up, track them down in the woods, and be able to eavesdrop on that whole conversation? And then not talk to Trance about it later. <laughs> right. But I mean, yeah, after once all the reveals are done by the end of the episode and then you go back and watch it again and now knowing, you know that Trance and Flux are playing them. Yes. Did they do this for the other side, too? And we just didn't get to see that part? Uh, possibly. Uh, or not. Or not. Maybe. I don't know. Did Flux seem sold on his group that he fell in with? Here's, no, the, th- here's no. the thing. Yeah, Flux seems like he was just like, somebody's going to get it. I really am mm-hmm. tired. I, I don't want to <laughs> deal with it anymore. It's going to happen. One of these folks, great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so so on the one hand, yeah, it seems like they're they're doing it for the benefit of Dylan and Becca. On the other hand, Flux seems like the type that he was just like, I'm old, I'm tired, I- I'm-, I'm sick of messing with it. <laughs> Okay, are you talking about at the end or the encounter in the woods? The encounter in the woods and then subsequently at the end of the episode. But if he's not doing it for the benefit of Dylan and Becca, why is he keeping up the act? Why is he building the backstory for Fletcher and Duran? I don't know. Maybe maybe for me it's just it's it's the other parts of the conversation that I'm getting hung up on maybe. And maybe we need to bring that in and then flesh this discussion out. Okay. Um, he talks about... Uh, trance is in defiance of her brothers and sisters. Okay, but you're talking later. Yeah. Okay, I'm talking about the discussion in the woods. Right. I know, and I, and I feel like these are related. Okay. Go ahead. Okay. So l- let's let's see where this conversation goes. All right. Uh, he, he talks about trance being in defiance of brothers and sisters. Um, he says, uh, "Have you forgot whose side you're on?" And she says, "No, she hasn't forgotten whose mm-hmm. side she is on." Indicating. Does she indicate there that she's still on his side? That she 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 is still in league with him in some way, shape, form, or fashion? I don't know because when you say it like that, remember if there was anything at all we could take from the prince. Do you remember when Tyr said that he chose the <laughs> winning on. side? Give me a second to catch up on that one. <laughs> oh yeah, okay, okay. Very vaguely, he said, "I chose the winning side." Not yes. saying which side that was. True. Indicating to the listener that he's like, oh, yeah, I'm totally on your side. But really all he was saying so was... So you're saying that, that Trance could have, could very well have been... Um, what's the word? Well, she didn't... Okay, can you quote that again? Or at least to the best of your... To the best of my re- recollection. Yeah. Um, he says... He asks, have you forgot what side you're on? And mm-hmm. she says, no, I haven't forgotten which side I'm on. Okay, so okay. Now that I said it just like that, yeah. Okay, yeah, so she's, she's not being, saying, "Oh no, I'm totally on your side." She's just saying, "No, I know what side I'm on." Okay, okay, yeah. That that kind of hit the reset button for me a little bit. But she's also not saying that she's not still on his side. True. Um, by her facial expression, I kind of took it to mean, "Yeah, I'm totally with you." But but there's, there's just kind of this other thing I'm worrying about, too. Yeah, it, it, but then she goes on. They go on further in that conversation, mm-hmm. and it sounds like she knows there's something coming that she can't run from. She can't deny it. Uh, the inevitable is what it seemed like to me, anyway. But she says, but I can dream for a while. So she realizes that what she's doing right here may not be what her brothers and sisters want her to do. She's indicating she doesn't, she doesn't care right now. She's just Mm going to do things the way she wants to do Mm -hmm. for a time. But she knows that ultimately something is going to catch up with everything going on here. So I, we come back to the conversation in the woods. If that's the, the backstory, they, they have, if they have that understanding between each other, then why do this for Dylan and Becca? Why choose sides? I mean, this this nebulous inevitability is coming that Flux and Trance understand that they can't escape from. And there's obviously an agenda with their peoples that's in play here. Mm-hmm. But then we also have the Commonwealth and Becca and Dylan and this whole thing playing out. Why care about that? Well, I think all they care about, at least Trance's people, I think all they care about is just getting the engine of creation. 
I don't think they care about, I don't think Flux cares about Fletcher and Duran and whether or not they get it and no, if they're I... able to fulfill all of their wildest dreams. I think that he doesn't ever intend for them to be able to to fulfill their wildest dreams. I think he just wants to get the engine of creation and get it back to their people, whoever they are. Okay. Whereas, so, whereas Trance, she's like, I want to get this. I want them to get this so that Dylan can kind of do this thing that he's wanting to do because I'm totally buying into it. I'm believing in it. Okay. Okay. I, I see it. it yeah. And, so and- maybe Commonwealth isn't the answer as far as what our people think or know to be the answer. But I would like to... Th- I would yeah. like to think that this could be something yeah. better. Okay, I, I want to explore this a little bit. Yeah, let's 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 just see what happens. First. Okay, I, I'm I'm on board with that. Okay. Yeah, and I don't know that. That's just that's just a discussion. That's that's kind of my interpretation. Dang, I thought I'd totally gone a backdoor way of getting you to reveal the series somehow. Yeah, they they all die at the end. Gosh, <laughs> gosh darn it! <laughs> they were all in heaven. <laughs> Not just three. <laughs> Oh, nice little lost reference there. I told you not to mention that show ever Sorry. again. Sorry. I I didn't bring it up. Okay, Ethan, now's the time of the episode where we uh, look at the quote at the beginning of the episode. Let's do so. And we really break it down for just any little morsel of anything that we can get out of it. The true quarry of any great adventurer is the undiscovered territory of their own soul. What's that from? That is from the Metaphysics of Motion. Okay. Uh, Commonwealth year 6416. Yeah, a few thousand years before Mm -hmm. what we're seeing currently. Yeah, right about now, I guess, wouldn't it be? Actually, yeah. Pretty close to now. Pretty close to it, yeah. Okay. Interesting. So somebody out there is writing that. Yeah. Some name we can't pronounce. Somebody probably just heard this transmission. (laughs) And they were like, that's good. That's good. This Lady Ania What's Macros. Time, time la- loop, time yeah. paradox. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is a whole paradox thing just playing itself out right now. Wow, my brain is hurting really bad. <laughs> Let's move on All from right. it then. Let's go to something simple like the quote. Okay. All right. So it, it's simple. See if you can complicate it for us. Um, we'll love to. Okay. No, no. I, I, it's it's a good quote. I like. I actually liked liked it. Knowing the second time when I watched the the episode, what it meant, what okay. it was getting at, and for the, the reasons that we talked about before, I really liked the arrival that we got to witness of of Dylan and Becca arriving at something real between the two of them. Um, and here they are both uh, explorers. They are great people. They're being thrust into the center of large events happening in the universe, and yet. They they both appreciate uh, what they have in each other. And so that's exactly what that was talking about. Yeah, it, it's, it's one thing to accomplish great things and to discover great things. But you have to be able to appreciate growth within yourself in order to be a truly great person. And, and I, I feel like that's what we got to witness a little bit in this episode. Mm-hmm. I have not much more to add to that. Um, you know, there are so many that say the uh, it's not so much the destination, but it's the journey. Um, the while the the engine of creation is something that is held to be uh, such a prize, and at the end of the episode, it really seems like a very tangible prize that they have attained. Um, through most of it, when you look at this quote, it kind of makes the engine of creation just a MacGuffin for the episode. And really what we're exploring is the characters and what is their character? Uh, what is the relationship between the two of them? Even though we have been together now, Dylan and Becca, for the last year and a half, our time, I don't know how much in-universe time they've been together, it, it really seems like they are getting to that point, to that destination in their journey together where they have found a meeting place uh, beyond any sort of goals that they're trying to attain. But just just finding that part of their character together. Yeah, yeah we, we arrived at a very warm and fuzzy place at the end of this episode, I thought. Yeah. Almost to the point to where I almost wish they didn't do the glowing thing 
with the engine of creation mm-hmm. because it would have been such a great end of that episode to just see the two of them walking away arm in arm mm-hmm. without anything else to distract from that. Sure. But anyway. It, it's true because that is less memorable. But don't you admit that when the camera pans down to the engine of creation and it starts pulsing. Oh, the intrigue is undeniable. Yeah. Because yeah. then your mind starts going. Yeah. Okay, this thing does work. Mm-hmm. What is it, and how are they going to use it? Yeah. No, that's very true. Yeah. I'm just saying from a character standpoint. Yeah. It would have been nice to take the MacGuffin away. Okay. <laughs> but you can't do it, because the whole episode was about the MacGuffin, not really about the people. True. We got what we got. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, Ethan, I'm going to put it to you now. Let's go ahead and let's talk about it. Final thoughts. Uh what did you think of this episode? I, okay, so here's the deal. I just wrote down a, an elaborate note for myself here to, to not forget this point because it it came. Is that what you were doing? That's while what I was, I was doing while you were talking. Uh-huh. Sorry, I wasn't. <laughs> I was just nodding yeah. so that you would keep talking. Uh-huh. But yeah, the thought was it hit me like a bolt of lightning as we're having this discussion, as we've talked about and alluded to in past uh, episodes. Sometimes it isn't until we talk about the episode that we realize that we liked it. Mm-hmm. Or sometimes that we d- disliked it, mm-hmm. uh, perhaps greater than we may have anticipated. Uh, I wrote down, don't watch this episode if you're in a bad mood or if you've had a bad day. Because apparently, I think that's what happened to me a month or so ago when I watched this episode <laughs> the first time. Okay, Because my notes were awful uh, when it came down to what I thought about the episode. I was, I was not pulling any punches. I was not... Uh, I wasn't giving it any leeway. I was giving it no quarter. The deal is, though, I went back and watched it a couple more times. And each time I watched it, it it's like it got better. It, it, I, I was in a better frame of mind, I suppose. And so all of the little niggling things that I put notes down about, I, I apparently I hated it because it reminded me of Indiana Jones. <laughs> Well, that doesn't bother me so much now. <laughs> right. I thought you liked Indiana Jones. I did like Indiana okay. Jones. I just didn't like it in this episode. Okay. But the, it, it, you know what? You know what? That, that I was having a bad day, apparently. Um, Sorbo. I, I, I felt like Sorbo was revisiting his past with Hercules in this episode, and apparently I didn't like that either. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, it, it, it worked. I, I will agree with this one comment that I put down. That the choreography and the timing of the action are terrible. Yeah. Don't look too closely mm-hmm. at the timing uh, and uh, of how some of this action uh, plays out. Like when the shuriken hits the door. Mm-hmm. It should have taken the head off. <laughs> it yeah. really should have. Right. It really should have. So, yeah, there, for, from a production standpoint, there are some glaring things. But... If you're in the right frame of mind and you're willing to give it a little bit of a pass, as I apparently was this last couple of times I watched it, it's actually a good episode. And and I I ended up enjoying this episode a lot more on sub- subsequent rewatches um, than perhaps some other episodes that I've watched several times through. Um, and, and so I'm willing to say this is a decent episode. It's not the best. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really enjoyed the character development. For for all three of our characters, our mm-hmm. main characters here, um, Trance, Becca, Dylan, they 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 all arrive at a better place. I feel like at the end of this episode, and we learn a lot about them. And for that reason, I think it's an episode that you really you shouldn't skip. It's good, so so go ahead and watch it. Mm-hmm. That's how I feel about it. Okay, you know I love I love the payoff. Um, I pretty much started this discussion with that because I love it when a series takes something. And drags it out uh, through a season or more. And then finally we get something. It maybe hasn't been the whole point of the series this whole time, but it's been there. And this has kind of been one of those things. It's a thread that they've dragged along, and now finally we get something. We finally find out what it is that Becca has been looking for. Kind of, I feel like, the reason why she joined to be on the crew of the Andromeda. I mean, this is a powerful ship. This is resources like she has never had before. And it kind of gave her all of the opportunities to finally be able to put all these pieces together. If it wasn't for being on the Andromeda, she never would have had the the, uh, the deal with the Hegemon's Heart. 
she never would have been able to find the map. Uh, she never would have been, um, gone uh, on the chasing the mad Perseid and finding his story's diary and all the stuff that, that she found all kind of going back to looking for the engine of creation without ever telling us as the audience what it is that she's looking for. Now we finally find out. Um, it's cool, I think, to see the relationship grow between Dylan and Becca. Um, to see just really how their personalities and their styles complement each other so well. Um, I think that probably as viewers, we have seen it for a long time. Mm -hmm. But now they very clearly see it. You can only expect that things are going to get better for them from now on because they understand fully that they're working together yeah. in everything. Yeah. They've got each other's backs and, you know, one's always working for the other. Can I ask you this? Okay. It, it seems to me we haven't talked a whole lot about the Magog world ship coming. Right. Really in the last, well, throughout most of this second season now. Mm -hmm. Is it because we didn't have faith in our characters' abilities to be able to take it on? And now, now does it feel like something big can come and our characters will stand together and, and, and we'll overcome it? <sighs> you know, I don't know. I would like to think that after their encounter with the world ship that we would have been able to say, yeah, they can stand together. Um, yeah, but then, even as different as, as Tyr and Harper are, look what they went through together. Yeah. But and yeah, that's, that's my point. Look what Harper went through after with having the Magog in his belly. Yeah. And, and look at, yeah. uh, at Rev, who was that guy? The, 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 the ugly thing. I don't have any <laughs> idea what you're talking about. <laughs> Rev Vim. Rev Vim. Never heard of him. He's no. left now. Mm -hmm. So it's it very much feels like we've kind of been in the dark a little bit, and and things have been kind of unsure about whether or not our band of of heroes here would actually be able to to stand up to this this big bad thing that's coming barreling at them in the through the universe. Well, they've also been busy building the Commonwealth. True, and I mean the reason they've been building the Commonwealth is basically for the purpose of fighting this big bad world ship that's coming. True. And that's really been a lot of their point of emphasis for this is look look this thing is coming. We've all got to stay together as worlds, as people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, maybe there was some regression. I don't know that as an audience that we lost in faith that we lost faith in them. I don't think that I did. Did you? Well, in the back of my mind, what I've been thinking is we haven't talked about the Magog worldship in quite a while. Right. You know, we haven't gotten a status update. We don't know what the sit rep is. Right. <laughs> and, and and here we've been dealing with all these little things uh, that have been threaded throughout the second season. And, and, and it isn't until now that I sit down and think about it that I think, wow, I, I, I had lost faith. I had lost faith in their ability to be able to handle this big thing that's coming at them. Hmm. just in the way that I watched them handle all these little things, and it seemed like it was kind of fracturing. Their their relationship seemed fractured, and I don't think I realized just how much I saw them that way until this episode. Hmm. And now that I see that Dylan and, and Becca have reconciled in a way, now all of a sudden it's like, oh, yeah, okay, they yeah, they can they can take on this other thing that's coming. Okay. I, it, it it's just struck me that that's that is my perception so far mm -hmm. in this second season. And remember, I'm just now watching it for the first time. Right. <laughs> we're we're yeah. now we are basically in uncharted territory for me. Right. Because I, I I hadn't gotten this far right. in previous watching. So yeah, these thoughts are, are are what I'm dealing with as a as a first time viewer. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's fair. Um, I personally hadn't thought that way, but that's okay. I, I guess you just, you just figure that your heroes are always going to. Come out on top. True. They're always going to save the day yeah. in the end. Um, you know, uh, and I guess who doesn't like an adventure story, right? Right. That's kind of what this was. This was an adventure. Mm -hmm. I was thinking Indiana Jones, too. And I liked it. It was interesting, all the stuff that we found out 
about trance, uh, just a little bit more about her, her people. Um, we've, we finally, we've met one of them now. Yeah. We've heard about them before. He wasn't Purple Boy, but yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, or maybe he was Purple Boy at some point. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> maybe at some point, trance turns kind of that bluish hue before she goes gold. Does she? I don't know. Maybe she was no. that bluish color before she was purple. I don't know. I don't know. I can't say. But <laughs> there was, she had a mystique phase. They all go through it. Yeah. <laughs> um and so yeah, I mean for all those reasons and in fact that it was just fun. It was interesting. Um I would have to say yeah, this was a good episode. I enjoyed it the first time I watched it when I was watching it through the first time. And I've enjoyed it in subsequent watches since. So uh, I have to give this episode big old thumbs up. Good job. Good job, Andromeda. Good job, Mrs. Hewitt Wolf. <laughs> Celeste Shan Wolf. Okay. Um, and, and Emily Scopa. Right, right. Um, so anyway, that was, that was my vote for this. Uh, my first one anyway. Can I go again? Can you? Yeah. Go. <laughs> All right. Yeah, because um, that would be my vote for one way of looking at this episode. Oh. Okay. Okay. Now I need to give my vote looking at this episode a different way. Okay. Okay, because you know that one thing that I always think about when I'm evaluating whether an episode holds up, has any merit, is any good. Um, while I think it needs to be a good episode on its own... It's something that really needs to carry through and drive the story arc. And if it doesn't do that, I feel like it falls short of what a serialized show is supposed to be. Okay, so are we coming around to the uh, consensus of parts uh, situation again? Yeah. Oh, crap. Yeah. And I really hate to do this to you. All right, lay it on me. Um. Because you know, this, I knew that, this, and I knew this was coming. This, I knew this has been a, a point for me for a long time, and it's one of the reasons that I have been dreading getting to this episode. Okay, because remember all that awesome stuff that I just said about this episode, all the reasons why I liked it, mm -hmm. the payoff, yeah, all the stuff we learned about Trance and her people, remembering previous episodes and tying it together now. Yeah, uh -huh. and uh, the the engine of creation. And, and raising new questions that yeah, we carry forward in right. this. Right, and the, the glow at the end, yeah. and getting us thinking, getting yeah. us excited, thinking, wow, what is this thing? Mm -hmm. What's it going to do, and how are they going to use it? Mm -hmm. We're never going to see it ever again. Oh. You could have just left it alone. I know, I could have, but I'm angry. <laughs> and I wanted to ruin your day too <laughs> so I should get back in the mindset of when I first watched this episode huh first watched you know what? this episode hey it was a fun episode and if it had if this episode had meant anything I really think that this episode was intended to be a huge episode yeah well when you say that I'm just having flashbacks to the consensus with parts yeah well, you should be. Oh, that's so sad. I know. Because they're, they're, this, to me, was even better than what was brought up in the consensus of parts. Oh, yeah. And I know that had Definitely. an element that was going to be carried forward, and it had a purpose, especially after we considered the... Uh, the the, uh, the Coda. Coda, yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, so I'm having flashbacks to that, and, and, and this seemed like an even better tangible to carry forward than the consensus of parts, and... It is such a letdown to hear you say this now. Yeah, I'm really sorry. <clears throat> Somehow I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> no, I am sorry because it sucks. And yeah. I remember when I was disappointed by this. It took me about another three and a half seasons before I realized how disappointed I was by this episode. Well, you know what? You don't have to be disappointed any longer. All right. If you read books. Oh. Because right. I have a book mm -hmm. that you would probably like to read that might actually kind of maybe give you some closure on this episode. Okay. Since we're not going to revisit this going forward, mm -hmm. you may as well read this. All right. I'll give it a shot. Uh, it's called The Broken Places. Mm -hmm. uh, and it was written by Ethelian Vare. 
Okay. Uh, it was a, a publication that came out uh, a year or so after this episode, actually. Okay. And she revisits the engine of creation and kind of gives it a, a fleshed out story. Mm. And you get a lot. M- Here's the thing. I've been playing dumb. Um, as far as what Ethelian Vare's impression of the engine of creation and what it was. And she had Robert Hewitt Wolf's ear mm-hmm. and he spoke with her about the series. So I feel like in reading this book, I got more of a, a broader view, a more re- well-rounded view of what the engine of creation was. Mm-hmm. I'll give it to you okay. and let you read it. All right. And then let's let's revisit this in maybe a concluding episode for season two or, or some future episode sure. of Drive Back the Night. We can, we can take a, a little pit stop and, and discuss this book. All right. How big is it? Oh, it's not very big. Does it have pictures? No. How big is the print? Uh, it's sizable. It's not a long read. Okay. It, right. It'll take you... Six months at most. Okay. All Just right. knowing you. Okay. It took me like two weeks. Sure. Six months for you. Okay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I think this is something that we can revisit since obviously you've leveled a very, uh, a very heavy blow. Yeah. Boom. On this uh, on this episode. I really thought it was the, the humane thing to do, though. <laughs> <laughs> Don't let us suffer. Right. Don't let right. us suffer. Well, anyway, uh, listeners, let us know if you're suffering. How could they get a hold of us? Well, they can do so by email, by contacting us at drivebackthenightpodcast at gmail.com. We're also on the social media, Facebook and Twitter, using the handle at AndromedaPod on both of those places. Our home is on Podbean. That's where you can find every episode of Drive Back the Night. And I think by switching that up, you just blew half our listeners' minds, at least the regular ones. Really? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Uh, if you listen to us on iTunes, please subscribe. And if you do so, give us a review. We certainly appreciate that as well. Good thanks to our big friend Doug Anderson for giving us his voice for the opening quote for this episode and most episodes. And we hope that you will join us back here again next time as we discuss the episode, The Things We Cannot Change. Uh, giving it any leeway. I was giving it no quarter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and, and I think that had to do... Had to I think d- I have a cousin named Lee Ray. <laughs> <laughs> Did I say Lee Ray? Leeway. Sorry. My bad. <laughs>